Thanks for joining us for our podcast, Putting It Together. My name is Christina Clayton, one of the co-directors of the Northwest Mental Health Technology Transfer Center. We are part of a national network to disseminate and implement evidence-based practices for mental health into the field. We are coming to you from Seattle, Washington, and our Northwest region covers Alaska, Washington, Oregon, and Idaho. However, in this virtual world, we have connected with people from all over, and we are very grateful to connect with you today. One of our goals is to provide free training and technical assistance in mental health topics. And now we are offering a podcast because we were told there weren't many podcasts out these days. Just kidding. But truly, we hope you hear some useful information and or inspiration that helps you put it together when working in this challenging and amazing field we call mental health. You can find out more about us, including our live event calendar, free online courses, resource library, and newsletter sign up by visiting our website at mhttcnetwork.org backslash Northwest. In our chat today, but in more depth in the webinar, Kira will address the strategies, dynamics, and tactics related to being part of a healthy team. We all know that group dynamics are complicated, and as she notes, even more so these days with a highly polarized social and political world. How can team members work well together when it comes to effective communication, productivity, and effectiveness in the workplace without, quote unquote, doing more? She will cover some data on effective work groups, how those characteristics can be replicated in many sectors, even under high stress conditions. And as we discuss with Kira, we draw upon all of her vast experience as a practicing clinical psychologist, a teaching professor, a former co-lead for the behavioral health strike team in the Washington State Department of Health throughout COVID. And she continues to provide training to community groups and professionals. Her research and work focused on disaster behavioral health resilience and recovery from trauma, her large and small-scale critical instance response and preparation for organizations, and her work abroad. She has really so much experience, and I'm very, very excited to have Kira back with us today to talk about how we can facilitate healthy teams and healthy dynamics in our groups. Well, welcome back, Kira Massa. Thank you so much for being with us today. And I know you are here in just a little while doing a webinar for us called Healthy Teams, Dynamics and Tactics for Successful Working Groups. As you and I were just chatting about, there's so much to that sentence. And I don't know how you came up with a set of slides that, you know, I know will cover just a lot of ground, but what was on your mind when you were creating this content for this webinar that we'll cover a little bit here in our podcast, but what what was on your mind when you're thinking about important topics related to this? Yeah. Well, um, number one is that people are really having a hard time getting along with each other right now. And especially in the context of a work group or a team where you're at least theoretically, working on similar set of goals or towards a particular strategic outcome for a company or an agency or a clinic. And when you have interpersonal turmoil on a working team, it affects not only your experience of the job, right, in terms of personal burnout and not wanting to show up and maybe not working as hard as you might, but it also affects the ability of the team to actually get done the work, to be efficient, to make progress on big goals, um, and to contribute something as a as a larger whole. So 
I think that the conversations that I've been having um, with team members and with leaders, like across the board, doesn't matter what your role is. It's just that it's it's harder to work in groups now than they think it's been before. Like it, there's a noticeable difference. And so I really wanted to try and um, summarize from my lens that I'm working in what some of the biggest contributing factors might be. And then the other side of that coin is it, it really does need to start with our individual awareness about how we are contributing to the team and how we might be able to do that a little bit more effectively to handle really strong opinions, really strong emotional reactions to things and that kind of stuff. Uh, so with an eye towards you know, getting done what the goals are of the team, whether that's meeting uh, behavioral health needs in a community, like at a clinic, whether that's producing something, if you're part of a work group whose job it is to put something together, it doesn't really matter what the outcome is, as long as people know what it is and are clear on that, they know what their role is, and then they know how they can contribute in a way that makes impact in a positive direction on the dynamics of all of the people that you're seeing and working with on a regular basis. Well, that's a lot. And I know you'll be talking about this, but what what do you think right now is going on? You know, and I know that a lot of factors affect people in the general work world, but what are you hearing about and focusing on, you know, in the behavioral health settings? Not everyone yeah. And and plenty of people could never do remote work, yet they may be moving to some remote meetings or for things that aren't consumer client facing direct services. But yeah. what are the things that really, you know, besides world events and politics always and stress around any number of things in our in our world right now, what would you say is different today than you've heard in years past? I think the biggest thing for people in health service, behavioral health care industry is the incredible amount of need and the incredible amount of attention on that need that is on a national scale. This is not a local problem. This is happening all over the United States. And um, there's more attention on what is behavioral health? What are symptoms? What is mental health? What is mental illness? How does that look? And so people who do the work, who are already doing the work, might now feel a little bit more scrutinized in terms of what the job is that they're doing and how to continue to meet the overwhelming need. And so if I were to sum it up very briefly with what I think the biggest issue is for behavioral health care providers, it is that we have got to do a better job of taking care of ourselves in ways that we know are healthy so that we can continue to do the work in the long run. It is about, and I, I really don't like the term self-care personally, <laughs> like it's just, I'm kind of tired of it as a, as a, as a concept, but I also think self-care feels like something on your to-do list that we don't have time for, right? So this is about not just doing something else that's healthy. This is about maintaining yourself as a human being in your energy and getting the sleep that you need and having the relationships that fulfill you. Like that stuff is fundamental to being able to provide behavioral health support to other people. And I see that as being the biggest issue for the industry right now from the lens of psychology, at least. Well, and and just sort of reviewing some of the materials you've shared with our team already, I, I picked up on this one uh, goal process over content. I, I imagine in this very stressed, do we, do we keep saying it's worse than ever? I mean, you could say that every year. Um, right. There really are major reasons for that in the past handful of years, for sure. But what does that mean to you that for those of us working in the field, working on teams need to consider? 
Yeah, not a new term at all. It's been around in psychology for years and decades, even decades and decades. Um, process is about the way in which we engage, right? And I, I would argue um, that it's about time for clinical psychology to share a little bit of that wisdom with organizational dynamics and team building stuff, because that's not a concept that is workplace oriented typically, but it should be, which is why I'm including it today. So the idea of process over content is that the way we engage with each other is often much more lasting, it's more important, it's more influential than all the content stuff that we're being asked to do. All the stuff on the checklist, like the actual product. And I know that there are different opinions about that. Like some people would certainly prioritize what it is you're doing and the content that you're creating over the way you do it. But from a behavioral health lens, when it comes to group dynamics, focusing on process is actually going to have the wonderful result of letting the content sort of sort itself out. It'll get done. But if it gets done in a way that the process is healthy, then your team is definitely going to be more fulfilled, more engaged with each other. Process is all about how you listen, how you respond, your behavioral choices, the way you interact with others. And the content can be about anything. That can change all the time, and it does. But if you focus your power on process, um, that is something that we each have control over, or at least have the potential to control. And there aren't a lot of content-oriented things that many of us have control over. So it serves two purposes, right? It gives us something that we know is effective and and useful, but it also gives us a place for ownership and sort of that agency, that sense of agency over what we're doing because content changes all the time. And it's often not as big of a deal as the process that we use to get where we're going. So that's what I want to emphasize today. Taking into account that much of our field is not financially supported, people come to the work with a desire and commitment that often then can be exacerbated by the conditions where where you find yourselves working, your supervisor, your colleague, the work you're trying to accomplish. And I was reading some articles recently about our center and like what we'll be doing this next year around one of SAMHSA's priorities of strengthening the behavioral health workforce. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So that's a whole nother day that we would have to talk, but team work, healthy teams, communication. I think that it's it's such the heart of us being able to find a place there we want to stay. And it can feel daunting, you know, um, as a supervisor, as a new member, as someone who's been around and have felt just crispy beyond belief around all the things that do not work. Mm-hmm. How does a healthy team strengthen the behavioral health workforce? How does a healthy team affect everybody on the team? People are not supported in learning about these dynamics or don't know to even think about these dynamics and are just trying to keep a lid on, which I think is most times what we all have to be doing anyway. Yeah. How do we, how do we, you know, as you mentioned, sort of, it might be a hard sell to talk about process. How do we sell that healthy teams are what can make the work possible? I would ask the, ask another question, like what's mm. the alternative? Like the alternative to not, not focusing on ourselves and the boundaries we can control and our team dynamics, like the alternative is more of what we've already got. So it doesn't take a big crystal ball to see where that's going to go and how that's going to work out for people. There was the funniest, let's see, I, I, I pulled it up a second ago because I think it's so relevant to this conversation. I, I collect tweets and memes that are um, they're funny because they hit home in a way that is very relevant, right? So this says, every company, we'd like to promote mental health in the workplace. Employees, how about hiring more people so we feel less pressured or increase our pay so we can keep up with the spiraling cost of living and we're not so stressed out? 
every company. No, not like that. Try yoga. And yeah. it's like, it's like, it's funny, but it's also cringy. Like how many, how many people have heard that? Try, you know, just try breathing, try breathing. And that'll make, it's like, well, okay. <laughs> breathing is a great coping skill and that's fine. But one of the questions that I do get asked when I am focused on so, so much of this individualized, what can you do, right? Is how do we change the system? And I think that's what you're asking. I would argue very strongly that the way that the system gets changed from the bottom up or the inside out is for people to say no and say enough. And I, and it's just not, it's not going to happen. It's not going to get done or it can't because the resources are not there. That level of demand and that cultural shift to say, I'm not just going to take on, you know, X many number of cases. I'm not going to work 75 hours a week. I cannot do that. That forces large organizations and companies to be like, oh, well, we can't offer X or we can't do X. And they, they have to reprioritize. I mean, the people who do this work are the most important, arguably, right, in my opinion, again, the most important asset of any health services agency and organization, the people who do the work. Absolutely. Um, and so if we don't say, I can't, or I, I'm not under these conditions, right, and say no under certain circumstances and have good boundaries, we know where that's going to end up, which is not in a direction that any of us want to see this industry go. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not a simple answer, right? But it is fairly straightforward. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and I think I've struggled with this in the past. You know, you have a list of 30 things that has to get done or uh, an agenda in a meeting that's four pages long and you just yep. realize like something has to give. Mm-hmm. So there's time. Or if it's really one of those we're going to run through a list of things that we need to get back to later, then just be clear about that, that not all things, you know, we sort of joke around in oars and motivational interviewing, like when something's literally on fire, you're not going to just simply reflect that, um, right. you know, you're going to go address the fire. the fire. Yep. Yeah. Put out the fire. But I think, you know, recognizing that you can't wait for something else to make the team more effective. It is the team that has that power. Now there are those demands as you shared, but even how you deal with those demands, how you communicate those things you don't anticipate, um, I think is, is just really what you're saying. And as a leader, you know, and I know that this content is not just meant at leadership, but it's important, you know, that leadership here at too, but that each person plays a role. Right. And so I really think that's, that's so big is it's not up to them or management or the whoever powers to be to make the team a certain way. There's a part of that. Absolutely. So what can we do if we're on a team and we want to, you know, see some changes and maybe I can't just go say, I'm not going to work with half my caseload today. Like I I thought I would, what can a team do at any level to try to change the tide on this. Yeah. If I were to pick one thing, I would say that it would be to practice healthy boundaries for yourself and then support your team members in doing the same thing. When they are off work and not available, they're not being bombarded with work emails. You just don't send them, right? You can do it. Now we have the technology to make it delayed send so that's within business hours. The stuff then that doesn't get to under those circumstances has to wait by definition, because then you're not encroaching on other people's boundaries. So if we're talking about culture change, which I think you are, um, it starts with individual action. And then it starts with also my individual actions, supporting the same kinds of individual actions with other people, which means mutual respect for boundaries. That is the number one thing that I think we can do to make a difference here. 
Yeah. And it's really sad. And I'm absolutely guilty, a terrible culprit in my role. You know, I end up having to do different things outside of regular hours. And yet I'm always saying, oh, please don't do that. Don't do as I do. And yet it's still sending a message. So yeah, pressing at least delay send. So, you know, but, but, but also, and I love that you talk about this in other settings as well, is when are we truly off? Because even if most of our work is done directly, in person with people, there's always communication happening behind the scenes. And someone's talking about getting dings on teams when the, the grocery store, turn it off. Yes, you know, it. like, yeah. I mean, if you yeah. want to do that, cause it's during the workday and you had to run an errand, well, fine, but it probably is going to wait in some settings. If there's a real urgent emergency with a person, like that's a different story. And probably someone's calling you about that. But I think that is really, you know, how do we get away from the idea that doing this stuff outside of regular work hours is either expected. It's just part of what we've told ourselves because no one's, no one's chasing me down saying, look, look at your stuff. It's Sunday night, but go look at your stuff. Cause you don't want to be late for whatever. It's like, it's all, is some of it self-imposed and then some of it is a culture. Yes. You know, in our world and in our field, because you can't keep up. So I think that is a real challenge with so much connection in the digital ways. So the one thing, like the one sort of summary for that, that I would have is that just because the technology makes it so that you can be available, you should. Right. So that means turning off your notifications. And that means like really practicing, like not look, having better boundaries personally, like not checking, not responding if you are. And I, I hear you. Like I do, I have a thing for myself because of my family schedule with my, my kids. Right. I sometimes work after they go to bed, it's like eight o'clock. They have bedtime at eight o'clock until about 10 because I was busy in the afternoon. Maybe it's three o'clock, four o'clock, like typical hours. And I didn't do some work that I was planning to do then. So I have a two hour window from eight to 10. That's not fun. I'm tired already. Right. But my computer always goes off at 10. Like the lid gets shut. I'm done. That's my boundary for myself because I'm trading that time off for another time, like from three to five in the afternoon when I'm with my kids. So whatever works for you, right. And individual structures and individual family plans and schedules and everything, they're all different. But there has to be protected time. So just because the technology can make it so that we can answer the phone wherever doesn't mean we should do that. And we need to support each other by not. Yeah, for sure. Well, I'm going to take that one to the bank today, Kira. Um, (laughs) I don't know how successful I'll be, but it is always a good reminder. And I always appreciate uh, chatting with you and having this content with you. So thank you again for being with us. Um, You always have great insights. No, it's my pleasure very much. Thanks for having me. You can find resources related to the episode in our show notes, so be sure to check those out. Learn more about us by visiting our website at mhttcnetwork.org backslash Northwest. You can also follow us on social media at NWMHTTC. This broadcast is brought to you by the Northwest MHTTC, which is funded by the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, or SAMHSA. However, the content does not necessarily reflect the views of SAMHSA. Thank you so much for listening. We look forward to connecting with you again so we can keep putting it together. Take care.